Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. And now, because you botched when you rolled for initiative, here's Evan and Michael. Hey, what's up? This is Evan and Michael, and this is Dungeon Talk episode 19. On today's episode, our table topic, we have two of them. They're going to be current events. One of them is something that happened in the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and the Twitter war, Twitterverse erupted in nerd rage. The Big Bang Theory Twitter war. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Gen Con, which uh, me and Michael with a couple other guys are going to... This at the end of the summer, right? End of end August, of, yeah. or yeah, middle of August, actually. All right, our other table topic is going to be Deadlands, which is a new game that we started playing this week. Um, our mailbag is going to be what's a balanced way to be a party leader, and then we're going to do another synergy where we open up a pack of magic cards and try to come up with a story or an encounter. And because of uh, forces beyond our control, we only have one pack of cards today. You can say because Evan forgot to <laughs> Evan forgot to forget his cards. So we're going to try it a little bit differently, and we're both going to look at the same cards, not talk to each other about it, and then see if we come up with different stories or not. Okay, so Michael. we may cut that off at the end, and not, and not include it. If if so, you'll know why. It's horrible. Yeah. All right, what happened with the Big Bang Theory? Okay, so there was an episode that aired. I think it was Thursday night, so that'd be like May ninth, I guess. And even before the episode aired, the Twitterverse <laughs> erupted in nerd rage. And essentially, there was like a teaser uh, as far as like, you know, the advertisement in a different show or, or the end of last week's whatever. And it had um, essentially the girls come into the apartment and find the, the boys playing D&D. And there's, a, there's an interaction where they invite the girls to play. And Sheldon says, I've never played D&D with a girl before. And Penny says, oh, sweetie, no one has. And apparently... That was just enough to set people off, mm-hmm. basically saying that Big Bang Theory is portraying a, an old stereotype. It isn't true, that there's plenty of girls that play D&D, and it is an in- inclusive community, and that they're just going for cheap laughs, and they're laughing at nerds rather than laughing with nerds. For myself, I think people just need seriously to chill the fuck out. First of all, I actually had two different Twitter conversations with people specifically about this, and in both cases, the person didn't even watch the show. They based their entire belief that this episode was crap from that teaser trailer. So I actually watched the episode. And essentially, this is what happened in my opinion. You can jump in whenever you have something to say. It has been well established many, many times that Sheldon is sort of the uber smart exclusive type of nerd Mm -hmm. he is he represents our community but he's he's the far spectrum of people that don't want people to like what he likes because if they like it then it's not as good that makes sense like yeah so Mm -hmm. the more people that like something he likes it i'm i'm that way about certain things like i want some there's some things where i want to make sure that i have something that not very many other people have and if like I enjoy, like, target shooting and guns and things like that, but I don't want guns that 
just are the normal ones that everybody owns because then it doesn't make them as good to me. Okay. So Sheldon is like that with nerdy type stuff. So he wants less people to like the thing that he likes right. because it makes it more valuable. Makes it a little and more nerdy. More nerdy. Penny has been well established as being very beautiful, but being dumb. I mean, really, really dumb. In, in the episode previously, she found out that you can power a clock with a potato and thought she had solved the world's energy crisis. All right. So, multiple times. Let's she's talk done. about that. Well, multiple times she's done. So, I think it was an intentional part on the writers to have the dumb person say the stereotype because it's dumb. Sure. Right, and I, one of the things I put in my, my Twitter response is it wasn't like the ghost of Gary Gygax appeared before them and said, girls don't play D&D. It wasn't like God or the representation of the universe said, mm-hmm. no, girls don't play D&D. It was the really dumb character and the really exclusive person who wasn't sure he wanted a girl to play. All the other people, the kind of mid-range, nerdy, smart, but somewhat normal, were okay with it. And then at the kind of through the story, if you actually watched the whole episode, the girls did in fact play D and D, and they had a lot of fun. They got into it, and there were moments where they were really excited about what was going on. So to me, the moral of the story was the stereotype is wrong, and that D and D can be fun for anyone if they give it a chance and actually play the game, which would be a positive message about D and D that it's not stupid, it's not evil, it's not exclusive. But it is a, a hobby that requires some effort, and if you make that effort, you can have a lot of fun with it. To me, that's what we should be portraying D&D as in the media. And I just think the majority of people who had a problem were the ones who never even watched the episode and already didn't like the show, and they just went on nerd rage because of that teaser. This uh, I want to bring this up because it comes back to a similar conversation that I saw. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Chase and Amy. It's a long yes. it's Kevin Smith yeah. movie. All right, so Kevin Smith got a lot of flack for that movie because at one point, Jason Lee's character, Banky, says, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase because I, don't, I can't quote it directly, that every lesbian's just one good fuck away from being straight. And he got a lot of crap from, like, gay and lesbian groups saying, you know, that's a, that's a stereotype that, that we're trying to avoid, that it's, a, it is a, it's not a choice, it's who we are, and that's not going to change anything. He's like, wait, wait, Banky's the one who said that. Banky's an idiot. That's why yeah. I chose for him to say that, because mm-hmm. you were supposed to know that that's what an idiot says and believes. And that's ex- basically it's exactly parallel. By having the dumb character say that, I think they were trying to say, this isn't what we believe. But it is sort of a stereotype that's out there. They're also, I feel like they're playing off a stereotype that they're playing, they're playing off the odds. And the odds are that most men who have played D&D... It's kind of like saying, uh, it's kind of like saying men are, uh, there's more men football players than there are women. Is that true? Yeah. Is that, are there some women football players out there? Are there some women who can play football? Yes. But if you said most men football players have not played football with a, with a woman football player, that would be true. Yes. Same thing with uh, lots of other things. And they're just playing off the odds that D and D, it is most likely wouldn't and wouldn't you agree is a male dominated game in my experience yes i, I can and in my experience my yeah. limited experience in your basement yeah. has been <laughs> and i i have never tried to avoid having girls but i've never also sought out girls to play but there's also like 
there's <coughs> there's nobody in that joke is saying that girls don't play D and D. Well, Penny is. Did, did she say most or did she say all? Well, Sheldon said I've never played D and D with a girl before, and her response is nobody has. Oh, and so then, her response was nobody. No girls play. Again. Still, the joke is just playing off the odds. Right. And, again, it, it is a cheap joke. It's going to be a cheap laugh. But I think it goes deeper than that. I actually feel like I'm giving the writers a lot of credit here because uh, the guy's escaping my name, or his name is escaping mine right now. The guy who created the show kind of says that he is a nerd and, you know, he, he's into that type of stuff. It's kind of – it's it's what uh, Peter from Family Guy says things that sh- that almost every group in the world should be offended by. But you dismiss it because, because it's, it's Peter, Peter from right. Family Guy. It's the character it- who is d- who is dumb who's saying it, so you laugh and allow it instead right. of be offended. Exactly. I, but my point was, I actually think the writers were being subversive in that they put the cheap joke on the trailer because... They have to get people to watch the show. And yes, it, that's probably a large percentage of the population. They probably did themselves a huge favor by putting that joke on the trailer and getting a huge, huge a, response. A, an outcry. But I think what actually happened, because you're going to have a lot of people who aren't in the community, but that's their belief of the community. People mm-hmm. who've never played, but that's what they think of as a bunch of you know nerdy people playing in their mom's basement. And that's, uh, I keep cutting you I know, off. I wouldn't finish. Go ahead. But what I'm saying is if you actually watch the episode, they show you that that's not true. So it's like they lure you in with candy, but then they give you an actual healthy, you know, eating healthy message while you're in there, to mix my metaphors. Mm -hmm. I think it was done on purpose. They went for the cheap laugh to get people to watch the show. Because, again, they're making lots of money off of people who are laughing at these characters. But these characters are actually teaching them things, some universal truths about their beliefs. I kind of feel like it's on purpose. And maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But I actually think I think they're doing it on purpose. That's why I think people way overreacted. And if they actually watched the episode, they would have had a much different feeling at the end than just looking at like a thirty second teaser out of context. You know, I, I kind of feel like it's if someone were to watch a movie and say, "I didn't like that movie," or uh, talk about a movie, "I don't like that movie because it had a, an anti gun message because of a trailer." But if you actually watch the the movie, the character who says, "You know, I don't think there should be guns." wherever, get saved by someone with a gun. They're like, I'm glad you were here with that gun. You saved my life. So the actual movie is not anti-gun, but they use that in the trailer to get interest. So you're hating something for doing something that it didn't actually do if you watched the movie or watched the show. Did you think that there was more outcry from male players who... from? Did you think that there was more outcry from female players who wanted people to know that there were females who played D&D or from male players who didn't want a picture painted of D&D as a bunch of guys sitting around the table who don't have interaction with yeah. girls? Well, this all came through my personal or my, my D&D Academy Twitter feed, and I'm following like 110 people right now, so it was very limited in scope, but there were a lot of retweets and people forward and things. And from from what I saw, it was very close to 50-50. There were quite a few female players who were saying, you know, F you to Big Bang Theory. I'm a geek. I'm a gamer. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then there were a bunch of other guys that were saying, I've played with girls. That's a stupid stereotype. We are an inclusive uh, community. So it really was split about 50-50. See, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. It's It's... Whenever I see a joke on television, 
I trace it back to the core, which is a guy sitting in an office writing jokes on paper thinking, what would be funny? And then that's it. I don't take it to heart any more than that. I was in the military, and if I watch a show that says, like, a joke that the punchline is about a Marine, I'll I'll laugh and say, that was a good joke. That was funny. Whether it's true or not. Yeah. It could be... True. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Most Marines are stupid. That's why they're in the Marine Corps. That's instead of going to college or doing something else. Send your emails to Evan at dndacademy.com, not Mike. I said Marines are stupid. I was in the Marines. Okay. But I think every, I mean, it is a sitcom. If you decide not to like Big Bang Theory because it's a sitcom, that's, that's one thing. But to not like a particular episode because it did something that it didn't actually do is silly. And on top of that, every sitcom is like that. Well, I'm generalizing, but, you know, even going back to, like, Friends, you know, Ross was this neurotic sort of, I don't even know, paleontologist or anthropologist, paleontologist or museum, whatever he did. I'm sure he was a very bad representation of that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people that were in that field were like, yeah, we don't do that. Or Mm -hmm. that's stupid. Or that's crazy. There was, you know, a scene where he had sex with Jennifer Aniston's character inside, like, a... Like one of the, the Neanderthal. Yeah, I'm sure that never actually could happen. Yeah. But it happened on the show and she stole like a, an egg. I'm really going nerd here because I remember that show too much. But I mean, I'm thinking of all kinds of sitcoms. I, I owned the Friends box. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even like, you know, uh, How I Met Your Mother with Neil Patrick Harris as Barney mm-hmm. character. You know, obviously he's like a man slut. It is taken to a crazy extreme that it's not, there's no way that it would actually ever be like that. So, Yes, sitcoms take characters and they make caricatures out of them for a broad stroke comedy. So that's just what sitcoms do. So what was the nerve or the chord that was struck in you? Because obviously there is something, there was a nerve struck in you, but it wasn't because of the joke. Like you weren't offended by no, the writers. I thought it was hilarious. I but like what, so what's the nerve that was struck in you by all the people who were offended? The, the thing that bothered me most is that when, and I tried to engage in actual conversation because I don't have any personal investment in the show. I didn't write it. I didn't create it. I don't make any money off of it when it airs. I do find it funny. That's my total involvement with the show. This show or (laughs) our show? The Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. I have some investment in this one. But almost, so I would engage people and say, well, what specifically did you not like? Because, you know, did you not notice that when this happened, it actually turned that teaser on his head and basically the response I got 100% of the time was well I didn't actually watch the show and that just drives me insane that someone would would take the time even if it's just a tweet that's 140 characters to say this show is stupid blah 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 and tweet it out Mm -hmm. and then when you're like well did you watch the episode no why would I watch it it's stupid those are just people that are needing to be heard I guess I don't know Um, I've mentioned many times before the angry DM is one of the guys that I follow and he actually wrote like a two-page dissertation, same thing, like saying you people are stupid. He even called some people out by name saying, you know, I guess one guy told another guy that you're like a shitty human being because you like the show or something. It's stupid. So he went on a big rant about how how people were stupid. And I actually tweeted, I was like, I'm Michael and I, and I approve this rant because <laughs> it was like, it was a very, like, I'm trying to do it in 140 characters trying to say, you should watch the show. It, it, it's better than what you're saying, blah, blah, blah. So he actually took the time to write it out. So we took about 10 minutes on the podcast to cover it. We probably need to move on at this point, but just if you're going to nerd rage about something, make it something that's real. In that case, people were upset about something that if you actually 
engaged with it was not accurate. And that just frustrates the crap out of me. So anyway, any last points about Big Bang Theory? Uh, only that the people that you are are talking about that are sending out the sending out tweets about the show are just people that have that have something inside them where they have to be heard by somebody and they're the same people that go on other blogs or YouTube and and you know, cause a ruckus on other videos it's i feel like with people like that it's less about the actual topic and it's more about they're making some they're making it about themselves like well, I'm not sure I 100% agree with you there. I, I'm sure that's part of it. I think another part is much like if someone's been bullied their whole life and they they have been exposed and told you shouldn't do that because you're a girl or girls don't do that or you're, you know, you don't ever have sex because you play D&D and you live in your mom's basement and you've just been, you know, hit with this your entire life and then you see this mainstream popular show that appears on the surface to be just punching you in the face one more time saying you're a bunch of nerds. So you're saying you're saying that you think that there's people who have an investment in the show. They trust the show. They're kind of like this show is kind of I get this show and then it betrayed them. Sort of. And well I think that's part of I think some other people had just already written the show off in the past because they thought it made fun of nerds rather than, you know, sort of showing nerds in a positive light. And this was just one more example of that. And they're frustrated that people like this show because it, it just makes them think that a large percentage of the population agree with what the show stated, which was you're a nerd, you know, you don't have sex, girls don't play. It, but again, my argument is... Those people actually, don't understand television. A well, comedy show, a comedy character is always a extreme of what it like you know uh, the it's it's an ex, it's an exaggeration yeah comedy comes from exaggeration but i would take it back to even revenge of the nerds i'm sure if you look at the movie the revenge of the nerds it made right. it made fun of nerds it, you know but was it was the, all exaggeration it was of broad, stereotypes right, it was the broadest stereotypes of nerds but in the end they got the girl they beat the jocks they saved the day they were the heroes so if you just watch the trailer for Revenge of the Nerds, I'm sure it was like, well, you know, they're making fun mm-hmm. of nerds. But the movie has a little heart if you actually watch the story. And I think that's exactly what happened. People saw the teaser trailer. It punched them in the face because it reinforced stereotypes they've had to deal with. But if you actually watch the show, then it kind of turned it on its head, which is why, again, I'm giving the writers credit for being subversive. I think that was intentional. They put, they punched people in the face with that teaser trailer to get a bunch of stupid people to watch the show because they're, haha, make fun of nerds. But then they made them sit through a story where the nerds actually did something well. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of repeating myself, so I think I need to move on. Yeah, we can go on to something I just else. think that if you're going to nerd rage, get your facts straight, I guess. At least watch the episode. Watch the movie. Read the book. Then come up with some salient points on why it shouldn't be funny or shouldn't be enjoyed. But don't just watch a trailer and go, fuck that. All right. right. Do you want to talk about Gen Con or Deadlands? So we'll go to to Gen uh, Gen Con. Just get those both out of the way. So this is May 11th. Um, Registration opens on the 19th. This is mine, yours, Jared, and Nico, who are all part of our group. First time any of the four of us have ever gone to Gen Con. I think Nico said he's been to some cons before, but not that one. I don't think any of the other three of us have ever been to a con at all. So we this have whole experience. world is new to me. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't involved with anything like this before I came here and met you. Marine. And 
Exactly. <laughs> I didn't have the brain capacity to, to yeah, deal with you this You had to stuff. get out of the Marines and then your brain restarted. To get smart. Exactly. I had to leave the Marines in order to get smart exactly. and be able to do this. So we're, we're just kind of feeling our way through the process. And, and if you've been listening to this and you've been listening to my games, you probably already know that I have a bit of OCD. I want to be a writer. No, no. It's different, <laughs> different joke. But I have a bit of OCD. I'm very compulsive. And I just, like, I'm, I'm watching all these YouTube videos, like Gen Con, people talking about what they did and how much fun they had. And I'm trying to learn as much about what I should do as possible. And registration opens on the 19th. And I assumed that we would pretty much, okay, I'm on my computer, 19th, here's the thing I want, is it available? Yes, no. Apparently, that's not how it works. There's this whole wish list thing. Encyclopedia. You have to prioritize everything that you want. You have to put alternate selections at the bottom. Well, yeah. All this goes at the same time. It's like, and then you get to spit out of all the stuff you got versus what you did. How many... Oh my God! How many thousands of people are going to be there, though? Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think forty thousand people is yeah. like kind of what, what's going to go on, and we're all going to register at essentially the same time. And there's not even like how can we even be guaranteed that uh, the four of us can sit down and play a game together? Yes and no. Uh, from what I saw from that video, is that there's an option within the wish list that you can basically we have to kind of like friend each other. And I can say, I want to go to this game, and I want to get tickets for everybody, and don't buy any tickets unless you can get all the tickets. So if you do that, you either won't get in, or, or you'll, you'll get, get enough for everybody. So it's a 50, it's a, you know, pass-fail type thing. So we will either, none of us get it, or all of us will get it. But that will only work if we coordinate. We have to do that this week, because it happens next Sunday, with... We got to friend each other. We got to decide who's going to, like, what all we do want to do together. Because I'm sure we don't want to do everything together. There's going to be some things that maybe all four of us want. Some things just you and I want to do together. We got to have all that worked out. And then we got to decide, okay, you're going to buy the tickets for this. Nico's going to buy the tickets for that. He needs one for you and Jared. You need to get one for me, Nico, and Jared. I need to get one for everybody. And then hope it actually works out. I went through all the lists, figured out what I wanted to do. I came up That's with this. That's insane. I came up, I mean, I'm like in seven hours of putting together a chart of what overlaps with what, all the events that I want. And I don't have a backup plan. Like that was all the brain power I had. I can't, I don't know that I even want to try to go back and go, okay, well, if I can't get A, I want B. I got the 10 things I want. If I don't get them, I probably just will not register. That's for fine. Anything else. You basically, you said that you were filling up all of your time anyways, and you didn't know if you were going to have any time to just roam around and do stuff. So there's going to be stuff that you're not going to be able to get into, and then you can use that for your time to... And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Also, I saw that you can buy generic tickets and that, you know, if people don't show up, if someone, you know, decides they just don't want to to play something they register for, they might leave. So you could show up to an event that you wanted to get into that you weren't able to, and you might be able just to sit down. Because, like, hey, you know, we needed six players, only five. You know, one guy just left. He got sick, whatever. You know, you throw your two generic tickets down and you get to play. So I'm not going to be too concerned, but I'm I'm concerned that I won't get anything. I guess is my concern is that I will put my wish list together and there's 40,000 people all register at the same time and everything I want is gone. And I'm basically everything's filled up and I have <laughs> nothing to do. And that's kind of my concern. So I don't know. Uh, a couple of the things I wanted to do, like um, I mentioned to you before we started, one of my goals for Gen Con is to try to play as many different game systems as possible. I've said before, I'm kind of a D&D purist. You know, I've actually only played like four role-playing games my entire life. 99% of the time it's been D&D. 
So I want to use this as experience to try all these other different systems. I've been hearing really good things about 13th Age. I've heard good things about Dungeon Crawl Classics. A friend of mine, uh, Rich, who did our our first module, mm-hmm. he, that, that was for a system called Ubiquity. So I want to try that out. There's some podcasts I listen to, and they talk about other games, Dungeon World, um, Worlds of Darkness, Hunter the Reckoning, uh Dragon Age Origins. So there's a bunch of different games that I just want to try to hit as many as possible. And some of those are only offered, I think, like Dungeon World, I think, is only offered two two times the entire uh, con. So if there's anybody else who wants to try Dungeon World, there's essentially 12 slots available for the entire thing. And so I'm just guessing I probably won't get that. Uh, there's only one I saw that was like Red Box Edition D&D which I think would just be a lot of fun to, from a nostalgia thing. So it's Redbox edition. That's like that's the game I started with. It's like basic D&D. It was re-released I think in the early 80s. Um, and it was a, it's like a really pared down version of D&D where you didn't have a lot of these other like skills. You basically had four stats or six stats that's basically it. Um, more focus on role playing, less on the miniatures. So I kind of want to do that. I'd like to do that. So that's the thing again. There's only Sounds like, like there's only like six slots for the game. It's only offered one time. So mm-hmm. if you don't get in, you're done. Um, so I don't, so that's kind of my concern is that I'm I'm not going to get into the things that I want. The other thing I don't know is where the buck stuff is. Like when you look yeah. at when you look at the game or if you look at the breakdown, I guess some of these events are in hotels that are nearby. So it's oh. not all in the convention center. Oh. So there's like a Marriott. There's a, a Holiday Inn. So I don't know how close things are even together. So everything I'm registering for is at least one hour apart. But I don't know, do I need to take a cab to these places or is it, can I walk there? We need to talk about this afterwards, but did you have a plan for a place to stay? Yeah, we already have a hotel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already booked the hotel. That's what that email, you owe me money. But, uh, so did you pay already? Yeah, I already put on the credit card. So the only thing I need is when you guys pay me. Could you get a refund if need be? I don't know. Probably not. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Because <laughs> essentially, when you guys pay me your part, that's the money I'm going to spend at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Though I think the way it works, too, is when you register, you have to pay. I like You have to have a credit card on file. But most of the events are like 4 or $5. So you're talking like 40 bucks total for all the events. So anyway, I'm, I'm really excited about it, as you can probably tell. And really frustrated. And really frustrated. And I'm kind of like, I'm having a nervous breakdown, trying to figure out what I want to do. And, and there were events that I really wanted to go to. Like, I really want to go to the, the Numenera launch. It's a brand new game system by Monty Cook. But it was right in the middle of some other stuff I really wanted. So I don't know if I'm going to get to go to it or not. I'm a huge fan of Mercedes Lackey. I grew up you know, all through high school, high school and college reading some of her books. And she's going to be there as a guest speaker. So I really wanted to go see her. Right in the middle of some other stuff I wanted. So I'm like, ah. so I don't know. Uh, what I finally came down to in most of those things is I imagine that they'll be put on YouTube. Like the, where well, they're just seminars and just discussions. Mm-hmm. So I can probably go back and watch them later. So I, I decided to, to choose a game over a seminar if, if they were conflicting. Because I'm sure I can get a copy, audio, or video of them anyways. And I really, you know, that kind of thing. All right, let's go on to mailbag. Sent in again by Ryan, who yeah. sent in another question. Yeah, this is his second question. He's also the guy that does our new intro for the Dungeon Talk episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this only counts. He doesn't get entered twice into the swag competition. I know people are going to be upset about that. I'm just kidding. Um, so I think we're still at like seven people. But I just I liked his question. I had a couple others in the queue, but uh, I liked his question a little bit better. Uh, not necessarily better, but I just I thought it made more sense for some of the stuff that we had going on in our games. So I thought we'd tackle that one next and then move on to some other ones. The question is, basically, what's a balanced way to be a 
party leader? Do you have a more precise or do you have his email exactly? So what he's talking about, and I've seen this happen in many games, where you have a person who's just an an extrovert or he's just a dominant person. He's an alpha male, or I should say her too, because I talked about how girls (laughs) go play D&D. So you have a player who's just sort of an alpha, and when they get into the role plan, they just sort of take over. And then you have other players who are a little bit more passive that maybe they don't feel comfortable just kind of stepping into the spotlight. Mm. Or because the other person is, they're just like, oh, okay, well, he's going to be the leader. And in, in a way, you're sort of harming someone else's experience at the table by being too dominant or too overbearing. And his concern is how can you be a leader but not harm other people's role-playing experience or maybe even help bring it out? The first thing I would say is your question is, how do I be a leader without stepping on other people? And the first thing I would say was take a back seat. Don't worry about being a leader. He want, he obviously wants to be the, the leader in whatever campaign he's playing or whatever it is. And he just wants to know what a good way to go about it is, like a sneaky or a good way to go about it is without um, overstepping his boundaries or getting basically keep still keeping the group happy. And I don't necessarily think it's anything um, sneaky about it. I've I've seen this happen in other games where you just have a person who is more comfortable. Maybe outside of D&D, they're they're a manager at work, they're a leader in the military, whatever. So they're just naturally – they just naturally assume a leadership role. And so they start telling people what to do. And that can cause conflict at the table or it could just cause someone to take a back seat where they would want to take a front seat if they could. What do you see at our table? Um, I see a lack of leadership at our table. I was going to I say would agree. ours is kind of the opposite of that where no one wants to step up and just say, okay, we're doing this, which is one of the frustrations that we had before we've talked about on here where we sit around the table for 20 minutes talking about what we're going to do and we never really decide on a plan. Eventually, just something else happens and we react to it. I would say, I think Nico is the most um, alpha when it comes to the role plan, but I think he's also the most experienced. So, if anybody is going to step up and say, okay, this is what we're going to do, he's the one that's likely to do it. My thoughts are to embrace the leadership role, but make it think, think of it like in a movie, you know, Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, whatever, where, or I'm sure many military movies. You have to know your player's specialties and then make sure they get those moments. So if you have the guy who's really charismatic or wants to be and he has a charismatic character, then as the leader, you give them a situation where they get to do that. If you have the guy who's sneaky, who wants to backstab or, or, or you know pickpocket, give them an opportunity. Like, okay, I need you to distract the guard. You are going to pickpocket that guy. And then I need you to start a fight outside as we make our escape. And you've just given three people their jobs. As long as they're okay with you assigning them the jobs at that point, then you step back and let them each have that moment. So the sneaky guy gets to be sneaky. The charismatic guy gets to either be charismatic or, or roll his dice if he's personally or she's not personally charismatic. And then you got the guy who likes to fight, gets to go out and just pick a fight with some guy on the street. I think that can be a very effective and rewarding way to play. I think it, his question is more along the lines of like in a role play sessions where if you feel more comfortable role playing, then you're probably going to shut people down who, who aren't. If you're every time there's a question, every time there's an NPC, you're just like you just sort of start the conversation and you direct the conversation with the NPC or DM that other players 
might just sit back and be passive and let you ask questions rather than role playing themselves. Or they may say, ask him about this or remember to ask him about that rather than them actually role playing and asking those questions themselves. I would be interested to know what the other people in his group are thinking about his role playing because maybe is he picking up some signs from other people that they might not be happy with him always taking the leadership role. And if that's the case, just sit back. I mean, it is role playing. If you're constantly role playing yourself, which is an out one of like kind of a leader, alpha male sitting at the table, then, you know, do something different. If you as a person like to kind of be in control and you see that coming out in your role playing, I would, that's kind of what I was hinting to before would, was just take a back seat and let the other people steer the ship for a while. I think the the possibilities of that kind of going back to our game is that if, if no one then steps up, then you just kind of aimlessly float around for a while. So <laughs> which it, is really, which is annoying. Frustrating. My thing with leadership and what I always do is I just ask, I ask other people, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And then when I get all, everybody's ideas, then I reiterate to everybody what the ideas are. I go, okay, this is what we have. We have um, plan A, B, and C. I want to go with B. What do you think? And I see what everybody else's input is. And if somebody can give me a better reason why we shouldn't, then I'm all for it. So I think kind of to answer the question from my experience is, and I've said this many times before, it comes down to the group you're in. If you have someone that this is their first time playing, then you need to gauge their reactions at the table. Do they want to get involved and you need to take a back seat? And even if it does get frustrating, just deal with it because you're teaching someone else how to play and that's just part of that first session or that first game and you know you just you won't worry about it how do you um, how do you feel about electing a clear party leader well that's one of those things that goes back to like old school D&D where you did that where you actually said at the table you are the leader and i think they were called the caller in the original terminology and they would actually dictate what people's actions were going to be how do you be. feel about that I think that's too far. I think that's a very sort of, I think that goes back to when it was more of a miniatures uh, tactical battle game, less than role playing. But I, I am okay with electing a party leader for when there is, like when we don't, we can't make a decision. We're, in a, we're, we're at a place, there's five different ways to go and everybody wants to go a different way. I'm okay with saying, okay, in those types of situations, Evan's going to make the decision. And if it turns out bad, we're just going to deal with it rather than spend an hour of actual game time discussing do we go down path A, B, C, D, E, or F. We just Someone's going to make a decision, we're going to go with it. I'm okay with that in those situations. I don't particularly like for there to be a party leader just in, no, you're going to do what I say, unless it's built, excuse me, <clears throat> unless it's kind of built into the game, you know, you're playing a game where you're a squad of soldiers, and then someone's the, you know, the leader of the soldiers, then that makes sense. In the game we were playing Mad Men, or excuse me, Made Men, you were the leader by the all, all the way the relationships worked. You were the leader that was built into the story. That doesn't mean that people have to listen to you. That means they're supposed to. And when they don't, that becomes interesting. So I just guess it would my 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 question for clarification for Ryan would be if if we're not quite hitting what you're asking is, are you concerned about telling people what to do or taking all the role play out of it where you're doing all the role play and other people aren't. Cause I think those are two different situations and two different issues that you need to deal with. If it's where 
you're telling people you need to sneak in here, you need to kill that guy, and you need to do this, and they don't want to do that because you're dictating their actions, that's one thing. Or if it's you're always interacting with the NPCs, you're always doing the role-playing, and they're not, I think that's a different situation. So what do you think, Evan? If, basically, if what you're doing is sitting around the table telling people what to do, then I feel like... A good way to be a leader is to be kind of like the backseat driver. You don't have to be the person in the front of the formation with your sword drawn saying charge to be the leader. You can, I feel like it's, or I find it's a little bit easier to steer the party in one direction if you just sit back and kind of do it from the backseat driver point of view where you are more observing about what other people think and then try to tie in try to tie what everybody's thinking in together instead of saying like let's say you're faced with a situation where you need to make a decision if you're that alpha male kind of guy you might say you might step up immediately and go here's what i think we should do but the backseat driver would be like so what should we do and you can still steer the party in the direction that you think is the right way to go, but you're just doing it in two different ways. And I still like, as I've said before, I like it when you guys sit around the table and discuss things as long as it's in character. I like it when you're role-playing out, this is what we should do and this is why we should do it. But at, at some point, it is still a game and we have a limited amount of time and we need to move the story forward. So at some point, somebody just needs to say, this is what we're going to do. And if it turns out bad... So be it. Much like when you're deciding to fight the NPC, you really shouldn't fight. Yeah. And you're talking about it for 20 minutes, and you're like, all right, we'll attack him. And he almost killed everybody. The good thing about the backseat driver, too, is that from listening to what everybody else wants to do, you might change what you want to do. Sure. Or you might think of a different idea that you weren't. You still may not be what they said, but it may not be what you originally thought was the right way to go yeah. either. So, all right. So, Ryan, I hope we did some justice to your question. If not, please email us back. And thanks again for the intro. I like it. Yeah, me too. All right. Let's talk about Deadlands. Let's talk about Deadlands. All right. So, we are taking a kind of a hiatus from the game that I'm running, the, the campaigns Made Men. And we are trying a different setting. We're doing the Savage Worlds game uh, with the Deadlands. I guess it's the Savage World system with the Deadlands setting. And we've talked a little bit about this before. But we had our first actual game last Tuesday, we're running a module, and basically the way I'm doing this module is it's still a play test to see if you guys like the system, if you like the setting, if you like your characters, and once this module is done, then we're going to decide if this is what we, we want to, do we want to go back to D&D, do we want to continue with this game, or do we want to do a, a completely different game and try that, if we decide to stay with Deadlands, then we'll take the characters and then we will turn it into an actual game. But, you know, so essentially, like, if your character you're playing were to die next game, but you still wanted to play him, when we really start the game, I would let you play him, if that makes sense. So this is still just a test of the system. So you were not there when we did our first mechanical test where Rob and uh, Nico came over and we just like, here's how you fight, here's how you shoot a gun, here's how you investigate here's how you ride a horse so this was your first experience completely i I printed out like the quick starter rules from the website and you read those but that was it so i kind of really interested in what you thought of how the system worked how the game worked uh any 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 
goods and bads that really stuck out to you, and then move kind of into the story or your characters, how they interacted together, what you liked, or the story that how it's unfolding. I liked because we're running a module, and I liked that it, right from the beginning there was a problem. From the first word, from the word go, there was a problem. And I liked that. Because um, instead of, okay, you know, instead of saying, okay, you guys, everything's, you're starting the game and everything's normal, immediately there is a hidden goal, which is to figure out first how we got here. Basically, we woke up on a train depot without knowing, we were riding on a train for a while. Um, and then we, all four of us woke up on a train depot, and then when we tried to follow the tracks, they disappeared. So we have no recollection of how we got there. And that's out of the, from the module, and... Actually, that's not, that's me. Okay. <laughs> I like the fact that from the beginning, there's a problem. And so, even though the four of us are not connected in a way um, of like, we're four brothers, and we're here to, uh, uh, you know, um, avenge our father, avenge the or death of our father. Yeah, right. we have like a connection like that. We're four strangers, but there's already a connection. We right. all woke up without knowing how we got there. Right. So that thought that that was a good way to start with a little string tying each of us together. It keeps. It kind of. I feel like it kind of kept the that thing from happening where I was like the elf and I jumped off the cliff into the tree. Yeah. Because I already had a little bit of a tie. I already had a question that I wanted to get answered, and I had a little bit of a tie to everybody else that was there. So I thought that that was a great, a perfect way okay. to start it. Um, then we started with intrigue, which is where are we? How did we get there? What are these sounds coming from the distance? Like, what's going on with this town? So, immediately there's questions that we want to try and get answered. So, there's already a driving force in the right. game, I feel like. Well, one of the things that I could kind of tell or I felt like is it was slow to start. Mm -hmm. And... That is from the module. That That is for, for kind of the intent. Basically, once you physically got to the town, that's when the module started. Everything before that was just me trying to set up some flavor and, and kind of get things going. But there's kind of a mystery. And basically, at the end of the first session, you guys fought a ghost. And from all the backgrounds and the way we played it out, that's kind of weird. You know, it's not like it's D&D &D where you're fighting a goblin. You, you understand goblins exist. I mean, this was a ghost None of your characters ever really experienced ghosts before. You're not sure you even believed in them. It was just, I try to make it kind of scary and kind of creepy. So you got all the way through the first session, and you essentially only had one battle, and that was with a creature you couldn't actually physically hurt. You had to take the bones and basically give them last rites and bury them, and that caused the spirit to go to rest. But now you clearly know, like, there's been some creepy stuff going on in this town, some weird stuff, but obviously at this point there's a supernatural influence in this town. So I kind of feel like the game, even though it was kind of slow, I think it, it built to something that if you had just walked into town and all of a sudden the ghost went, Boo! you know, it would have been more like Scooby-Doo. It, it would have been more funny mm -hmm. than sort of a mystery and intrigue and, and it's tense, tension. The way you're building it is kind of like I subconsciously, it it was more subconscious in my head in my head i didn't really pick up on it or realize it but because but you're exactly right because for 
the first half of the game, I was pretty bored. And it wasn't until the second half of the game where I was interested in what was going on. So there was that slow beginning that sometimes it's good in movies when there's this really slow beginning that starts to pick up a little bit more throughout the middle. And then by the time you get to the end, when the climax happens, it seems even bigger Mm -hmm. because the buildup was so slow. So I think... I, I think that was definitely happening, and I bought into it at the end of it. So what do you think about the setting? Because you're actually the kind of the impetus for us doing this, is you said you wanted to try something besides fantasy, you know, heroic fantasy D&D. You wanted to try different settings. Are you enjoying the Wild West sort of setting? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it? I just like, yeah, this is because I just like that kind of setting from movies and things like that. I uh, recorded Tombstone to give myself some uh, inspiration before I got into it. My favorite Western is um, the one... Open Range. Yeah, Open Range with Kevin Costner. Yeah, I like that one. I love that one. And again, that's the movie. It's very slow. Oh, yeah. It's like two and a half hours. Until you build up to one of the greatest shootouts. Yeah, and it's like seven minutes out of a two Mm -hmm. and a half hour movie. And Mm -hmm. so I actually really like that movie as well. Uh, The one thing I want to take credit for, because I actually thought it was really funny... Is when you guys got to the hotel, the uh, the character there, uh, I think his name's Carl Testaverde. I made him really old, like ancient, and I, I was just doing it for fun. I was just, you know again just trying to create a little flair. And I set up so when he walked in, he's on a cane, and it, you know it took him like twenty minutes to climb a flight of stairs. And again, I was just trying to be funny with it. Well, then later uh, something happened in one of the rooms, and one of the characters who has like a negative guts role, he's basically a coward, screamed like a little girl. He's like ah. And there's like a 10-minute scene where you guys investigate. There's nothing there. He changes rooms because he doesn't want to sleep alone. And everybody goes back to sleep. And like 20 minutes later in game time, I had somebody, he had just gotten there. So yeah. he, he came running when you screamed it. I made it like a 30-minute. It made me laugh on the inside. Like I was giggling. I was like, oh, that's so funny. So I'll take credit because I thought that was actually really funny. So you're having fun with Deadlands. You like the setting. The, one of the things that I'm struggling with is if we if we we go to this full time of actually having a, a game like I'm I'm not really sure what kind of story I want to tell I do I like westerns I like the settings it, it was my idea to play Deadlands it was your idea to play something different but I'm kind of struggling with what to do with your characters in a, in a outside the module okay we're actually going to go this is all real you know go. I don't really have anything yet, and I'm a little bit concerned because I read all the time, but 90% of it's fantasy. So I have all these, you know, um, sources to draw on. I just kind of combine them all together, and I'm good. I don't have as much experience with the Western, and particularly the Weird West. So I'm a little concerned. It can be the same... The same stories. It's just like, you know, instead of the king, it's the rich family, and instead of the guard, it's the sheriff, you know. It can be the same storylines. But I, was, I guess I'm a little confused because are we going to play de- all the way through this Deadlands module? Yeah, but I kind of expect you guys will finish it next time or the time after and then it'll be done. So oh. we, we got two to three sessions and then it'll be over. I anticipate. Unless we're just completely stupid and can't figure it out. Or you all die, either one. Um, so I kind of think you'll be over two, two or three sessions, I think, as, as long as it will last at the pace that we're going. Because there was a lot of slow buildup. But now that you know something's going on, I, I anticipate that it will speed up. I could be wrong there. 
So once that's over, then I want to say, okay, did you guys like the game? Do you want to keep playing? Do you want to change characters? You know, because like um, Rob's playing the shaman who does voodoo. Maybe he decides he'd rather be a gunslinger. Nico's playing a gunslinger. Maybe he decides he'd rather be a priest. And Jared's playing the priest. Maybe he'd rather be the gambler. So I want to let everybody redo their characters if they want or make tweaks or make changes. And then once we start the game, okay, now you're playing those characters. And it'll be an actual, you know, Michael-created story. So I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about that. but I, I do like the mechanics of it. It's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. It's very simple. And I like how they codified things that in most D&D games I just try to make up on the fly and I don't always do a very good job, like chase scenes, mm-hmm. the interludes. I really thought that was a good idea. Um, I can't remember the name of it. There's one thing I really liked. It's a situation essentially where you set up the characters where if they don't accomplish something, they all die. And in like D&D, you would just throw monster after monster and, you know, you have to kill them all. But they actually set it up. And I think like the example they give, because Savage Worlds can be any setting. It can be modern today. It can be Wild West. It can be fantasy. It can be sci-fi. And they give an example of somebody that's, that's defusing a bomb. And but there's like crazy terrorists that are attacking you, trying to keep you from disarming it. And the way the game is set up is you decide how many successes you need. And I think they get an example of five. Okay, you got to have five successes. So four of the characters are just trying to keep the terrorists from getting close while the bomb, dis- bomb disarmer guy is trying to disarm the bomb. So he rolls his skill, and if he gets a raise, which is four above the number, it counts as multiple successes. And if a terrorist gets through, then it makes it harder for him to succeed. And essentially, you either get five successes or the bomb goes off and you die. Those are the only two outcomes. So there's no sort of, well, you just fight orcs until you run out of hit points. And then, you know, it's, it's basically succeed or not. And I, just, I think that's kind of an interesting kind of a mechanic. And I, I, I never would have thought to do it that way on my own, like in a D&D game. I don't even know if I ever would have used that type of setting or a type of situation. So I really kind of like that. I think they gave another one where there's like a, a cult is trying to open up a pit to the, you know, demons and you're trying to stop them. And while like four people are fighting the cultists and the magic guy is trying to counter the spell. So you either succeed and the demon doesn't come through or the demon comes through and you all die. So I don't know, just, I don't know. I really like that kind of ramble at this point. So we should probably move on unless you have anything else you want to say about Deadlands. No, we do need to come up with a name for the campaign because we got made men for our D D one, but probably need to wait till I figure out exactly what the story is. And yeah. Then find a, Are you going to try to come up with a new story for us to run these characters through. Yeah, and that's the plan, is once you've decided if you like the a, characters... A Michael like, Original? Yeah, it'll be a Michael Original story. So I think the next thing we got left is Synergy. Mm-hmm. So we have a pack of uh, Dragon Maze cards. All right, so we're going to pause it here for a few minutes, look at the cards, and see if we can come up with a story that makes sense. So there's four or five cards together here that kind of set up the main part of the story for me. There's this Pilfered Plans, Uncovered Clues... The Sin Collector, the Steeple Rock, and the Live Decree. And so what we kind of came up with is that there's this city, so based on the Azores Guild Gate, which looks like a big city there, where there is sort of like a church theocracy. Probably not actually in control of the city, but they have a lot of power and influence, and they want to control the city. And they have put together some sort of plan where they're going to either overthrow the government or try to have the ruler assassinated, taken out in some way, 
and then install their own puppet leader in their place that will allow them the, the power that they want. And then using, we actually got a token card, which was a spirit, which is kind of where a lot of this came together for us. There's a mending touch card, which is a regenerate. And so what we're thinking is that whoever the NPC was that uncovered this you know, nefarious plot tried to get away and let people know, and the, the church was able to actually kill him, but they raised his body. But when they raised his body, that way people wouldn't know he's dead, um, his, his spirit escaped. So he's basically like an automaton at this point. His body's still there, but his spirit's missing. So the, the, the bad guys, the church people, think that they are safe. They think that they have everything under control, but the spirit was able to get away and will in some way communicate with the heroes, the, the PCs, about what's going on. And maybe that will be the impetus that gets them started on what's going on. There's a couple other cards, the Smelt Ward Gatekeepers and the Opal Lake Gatekeepers. So we got a blue and a red creature. And kind of what I am envisioning here is that there are factions within the city uh, that are kind of diametrically opposed. And whether it's, you know, merchant guilds, trade guilds, thieves guilds, whatever, there is a chance that the PCs would be able to gain allies or possibly uh, enemies as they navigate through the city and try to uncover clues and because you have very diametrically opposed groups and it would be difficult to bring them all together, but likely you got to pick your allies and pick your enemies appropriately. So one of the other cards that we had was this uh, Cordoza Gorgon, and it's I guess it's sort of like a Medusa, but in the in the picture she's in the sewers. So what we thought is that she's probably the mid-level bad guy and that she's the one that set all this in motion and she's either seduced or blackmailed or otherwise influenced one of the high-level church leaders to start this plan. And while they think they're going to take over the city, they're actually going to make it possible for her to do so, obviously without them knowing about it, and that she would be one of the kind of uh, near-to-the-end bosses they would have to fight. And with that was this Sinister Possession card, which is an enchantment. And what it does is when an enchanted creature attacks or blocks its controller loses two lives. But what we thought we would do with it, which I thought was cooler, is that there's some sort of spell on the Cordoza Gorgon that when she's attacked, the damage is actually translated to another person, either one of the PCs or maybe just a loved NPC, an innocent person, so the PCs just can't run up and kill her. Uh, by doing so, they actually would be killing either A, themselves, or B, someone else, an innocent person. So first, they would have to break that enchantment. Or there could just be a moral dilemma is, you know, is my death as a hero worth, you know, killing this person? Or is the death of just an innocent NPC that they don't even know worth keeping her from her plans going through? So I could see that as being a very kind of interesting philosophical role play situation where... You know, I'm sure you've had that conversation. If you could kill a random person for a million dollars, never get caught, never knew who it was, would you do it? What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. I've never done that. Uh, so it's kind of the same situation. You know that there's a random person that will die. Essentially, you have to attack her till that person dies. Then that once they're dead, then you can attack her and kill her. It's going to save the entire city. It may save thousands of lives. Are you going to do it? I like those moral dilemmas, so I thought that was a really cool thing. And then our uh, rare is that progenitor mimic, and essentially what it does is it can be a copy of anything on the table, but what we keyed on is that it, it basically kind of duplicates itself. 
So at the beginning of each turn, it creates a copy of itself again. So whatever this plan is, or in some part of this plan, this creature is unleashed, and this would be the big climatic battle where whatever you decide to make it, an, an orc, a goblin, a dragon, uh, whatever, as it appears, every so often, it makes a copy of itself. And then both of those copies make a copy of themselves. So not only do you have to defeat it, you have to defeat it quickly enough that it can't overwhelm you. So I imagine that would probably have to be a pretty high-level encounter. The characters have to be pretty high-level to do that. Or that each creature would have to be fairly weak. I'm, I mean, there's obviously spells like Fireball that might, might help there as well. But I, I can just envision that as being a very cool battle. It's almost like fighting a Hydra where you cut a head and two heads come back and now it makes it worse. Uh, you know, you attack the creature, but you don't kill it. So now there's two of them. Now you have to kill both of them, or it makes four. You got to kill four, it makes eight. Uh, though I can see the PCs losing very quickly, and that just being the end of the game. So anyway, so that's what we came up with. Um, if you guys, anybody who's listening, you know, you know the cards well enough, you'd like to give us your own take on what you would have done with those cards, or or what, you know, what inspiration you had. I would love to hear it. Either um, send us an email. Post a comment on the forums, post a comment on the website. Uh, but otherwise, I think that's about it, unless you have anything to add. I kind of took over there with the cards. Hope you don't mind. No, it was perfect. It was good. So any last words of wisdom? Um, no. All right. So by the next time we um, we podcast, we should be able to tell you what we registered for at Gen Con, so you'll know what events we're going to if you're interested, if you're going to be there, so you can find us. And hopefully it will be some of the stuff that we wanted. And we also should have another Deadlands game in and maybe have even completed the module, so we might talk a little bit about that. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Don't forget uh, the forum that we have set up on RPG Crosstalk. Still have no comments. Starting to get really sad every time I log in and look. Uh, so last time we begged, people actually sent some comments in, so I'm going to beg one person, go onto the forums and just say, like, hi, just so that I know that you're listening. That's all I got. You got anything last last words? No. Um. <laughs> all right. Cool enough. Then. All right. This has been Michael and Evan. We'll see you next time. at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.